Comedy of Errors from Lamb's Tales from Shakespeare. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Karen Savage, Waco, Texas, May 2007. Tales from Shakespeare by Charles and Mary Lamb. Comedy of Errors. The states of Syracuse and Ephesus being at variance, there was a cruel law made at Ephesus, ordaining that if any merchant of Syracuse was seen in the city of Ephesus, he was to be put to death, unless he could pay a thousand marks for the ransom of his life. Aegean, an old merchant of Syracuse, was discovered in the streets of Ephesus, and brought before the duke, either to pay this heavy fine, or receive sentence of death. Aegean had no money to pay the fine, and the duke, before he pronounced the sentence of death upon him, desired him to relate the history of his life, and to tell for what cause he had ventured to come to the city of Ephesus, which it was death for any Syracusan merchant to enter. Aegean said he did not fear to die, for sorrow had made him weary of his life, but that a heavier task could not have been imposed upon him than to relate the events of his unfortunate life. He then began his own history in the following words. I was born at Syracuse, and brought up to the profession of a merchant. I married a lady with whom I lived very happily, but being obliged to go to Epidamnum, I was detained there by my business six months, and then, finding I should be obliged to stay some time longer, I sent for my wife, who, as soon as she arrived, was brought to bed of two sons, and, what was very strange, they were both so exactly alike that it was impossible to distinguish the one from the other. At the same time that my wife was brought to bed of these twin boys, a poor woman in the inn where my wife lodged was brought to bed of two sons, and these twins were as much like each other as my two sons were. The parents of these children being exceeding poor, I bought the two boys, and brought them up to attend upon my sons. My sons were very fine children, and my wife was not a little proud of two such boys, and she daily wishing to return home, I unwillingly agreed, and in an evil hour we got on shipboard, for we had not sailed above a league from Epidamnum before a dreadful storm arose, which continued with such violence that the sailors, seeing no chance of saving the ship, crowded into the boat to save their own lives, leaving us alone in the ship, which we every moment expected would be destroyed by the fury of the storm. The incessant weeping of my wife, and the piteous complaints of the pretty babes, who, not knowing what to fear, wept for fashion, because they saw their mother weep, filled me with terror for them, though I did not for myself fear death, and all my thoughts were bent to contrive means for their safety. I tied my youngest son to the end of a small spire-mast, such as seafaring men provide against storms. At the other end I bound the youngest of the twin slaves, and at the same time I directed my wife how to fasten the other children in like manner to another mast. She thus having the care of the eldest two children, and I of the younger two, we bound ourselves separately to these masts with the children, and but for this contrivance we had all been lost, for the ship split on a mighty rock, and was dashed in pieces, and we, clinging to these slender masts, were supported above the water, where I, having the care of two children, was unable to assist my wife, who with the other children was soon separated from me. But while they were yet in my sight, they were taken up by a boat of fishermen, from Corinth, as I supposed, and seeing them in safety, I had no care but to struggle with the wild sea-waves to preserve my dear son and the youngest slave. At length we, in our turn, were taken up by a ship, and the sailors, knowing me, gave us kind welcome and assistance, and landed us in safety at Syracuse. But from that sad hour I have never known what became of my wife and eldest child. My youngest son, and now my only care, when he was eighteen years of age, began to be inquisitive after his mother and brother, and often importuned me that he might take his attendant, the young slave, who had also lost his brother, and go in search of them. 
At length I unwillingly gave consent, for, though I anxiously desired to hear tidings of my wife and eldest son, yet in sending my younger one to find them, I hazarded the loss of him also. It is now seven years since my son left me. Five years have I passed in travelling through the world in search of him. I have been in farthest Greece, and through the bounds of Asia, and coasting homeward I landed here in Ephesus, being unwilling to leave any place unsought that harbours men. But this day must end the story of my life, and happy should I think myself in my death if I were assured my wife and sons were living. Here the hapless Aegean ended the account of his misfortunes, and the duke, pitying this unfortunate father who had brought upon himself this great peril by his love for his lost son, said if it were not against the laws, which his oath and dignity did not permit him to alter, he would freely pardon him. Yet, instead of dooming him to instant death, as the strict letter of the law required, he would give him that day to try if he could beg or borrow the money to pay the fine. This day of grace did seem no great favour to Aegean, for, not knowing any man in Ephesus, there seemed to him but little chance that any stranger would lend or give him a thousand marks to pay the fine, and helpless and hopeless of any relief, he retired from the presence of the duke in the custody of a jailer. Aegean supposed he knew no person in Ephesus, but at the time he was in danger of losing his life through the careful search he was making after his youngest son, that son, and his eldest son also, were in the city of Ephesus. Aegean's sons, besides being exactly alike in face and person, were both named alike, being both called Antiphilus, and the two twin slaves were also both called Dromeo. Aegean's youngest son, Antiphilus of Syracuse, he whom the old man had come to Ephesus to seek, happened to arrive at Ephesus with his slave Dromeo that very same day that Aegean did, and he being also a merchant of Syracuse, he would have been in the same danger that his father was, but by good fortune he met a friend who told him the peril an old merchant of Syracuse was in, and advised him to pass for a merchant of Epidamnum. This Antiphilus agreed to do, and he was sorry to hear one of his own countrymen was in danger, but he little thought this old merchant was his own father. The eldest son of Aegean, who must be called Antiphilus of Ephesus, to distinguish him from his brother Antiphilus of Syracuse, had lived at Ephesus twenty years, and being a rich man, was well able to have paid the money for the ransom of his father's life. But Antiphilus knew nothing of his father, being so young when he was taken out of the sea with his mother, by the fisherman, that he only remembered he had been so preserved. But he had no recollection of either his father or his mother, the fisherman who took up this Antiphilus and his mother, and the young slave Dromio, having carried the two children away from her to the great grief of that unhappy lady, intending to sell them. Antiphilus and Dromio were sold by them to Duke Menaphon, a famous warrior who was uncle to the Duke of Ephesus, and he carried the boys to Ephesus when he went to visit the Duke, his nephew. The Duke of Ephesus, taking a liking to young Antiphilus, when he grew up made him an officer in his army, in which he distinguished himself by his great bravery in the wars, where he saved the life of his patron, the Duke, who rewarded his merit by marrying him to Adriana, a rich lady of Ephesus, with whom he was living, his slave Dromio still attending him, at the time his father came there. Antiphilus of Syracuse, when he parted with his friend, who advised him to say he came from Epidamnum, gave his slave Dromio some money to carry to the inn where he intended to dine, and in the meantime he said he would walk about and view the city and observe the manners of the people. Dromio was a pleasant fellow, and when Antiphilus was dull and melancholy he used to divert himself with the odd humours and merry jests of his slave, so that the freedoms of speech he allowed in Dromio were greater than is usual between masters and their servants. When Antiphilus of Syracuse had sent Dromio away, he stood a while thinking over his solitary wanderings in search of his mother and his brother, of whom in no place where he landed could he hear the least tidings. And he said sorrowfully to himself, I am like a drop of water in the ocean, which, seeking to find its fellow drop, loses itself in the wide sea. 
so I unhappily to find a mother and a brother do lose myself. While he was thus meditating on his weary travels, which had hitherto been so useless, Dromio, as he thought, returned. Antiphilus, wondering that he came back so soon, asked him where he had left the money. Now it was not his own Dromio, but the twin brother that lived with Antiphilus of Ephesus, that he spoke to. The two Dromios and the two Antiphiluses were still as much alike as Aegean had said they were in their infancy. Therefore no wonder Antiphilus thought it was his own slave returned, and asked him why he came back so soon. Dromio replied, "'My mistress sent me to bid you to come to dinner. The capon burns, and the pig falls from the spit, and the meat will be all cold if you do not come home.' "'These jests are out of season,' said Antiphilus. "'Where did you leave the money?' Dromio, still answering that his mistress had sent him to fetch Antiphilus to dinner. "'What mistress?' said Antiphilus. "'Why, your worship's wife, sir,' replied Dromio. Antiphilus, having no wife, he was very angry with Dromio, and said, "'Because I familiarly sometimes chat with you, you presume to jest with me in this free manner. I am not in a sportive humour now. Where is the money? We being strangers here, how dare you trust so great a charge from your own custody?' Dromio, hearing his master, as he thought him, talk of their being strangers, supposing Antiphilus was jesting, replied merrily, "'I pray you, sir, jest as you sit at dinner. I had no charge but to fetch you home to dine with my mistress and her sister.' Now Antiphilus lost all patience, and beat Dromio, who ran home and told his mistress that his master had refused to come to dinner, and said that he had no wife. Adriana, the wife of Antiphilus of Ephesus, was very angry when she heard that her husband said he had no wife, for she was of a jealous temper, and she said her husband meant that he loved another lady better than herself, and she began to fret and say unkind words of jealousy and reproach to her husband, and her sister Luciana, who lived with her, tried in vain to persuade her out of the, her groundless suspicions. Antiphilus of Syracuse went to the inn, and found Dromio with the money in safety there, and seeing his own Dromio, he was going again to chide him for his free jests, when Adriana came up to him, and, not doubting but it was her husband she saw, she began to reproach him for looking strange upon her, as well he might, never having seen this angry lady before. And then she told him how well he loved her before they were married, and that now he loved some other lady instead of her. "'How comes it now, my husband?' said she. "'Oh, how comes it that I have lost your love?' "'Plead you to me, fair dame,' said the astonished Antiphilus. It was in vain that he told her he was not her husband, and that he had been in Ephesus but two hours. She insisted on his going home with her, and Antiphilus at last, being unable to get away, went with her to his brother's house, and dined with Adriana and her sister, the one calling him husband, and the other brother, he all amazed, thinking he must have been married to her in his sleep, or that he was sleeping now. And Dromio, who followed them, was no less surprised— for the cookmaid, who was his brother's wife, also claimed him for her husband. While Antiphilus of Syracuse was dining with his brother's wife, his brother, the real husband, returned home to dinner with his slave Dromio. But the servants would not open the door, because their mistress had ordered them not to admit any company. And when they repeatedly knocked, and said they were Antiphilus and Dromio, the maids laughed at them, and said that Antiphilus was at dinner with their mistress, and Dromio was in the kitchen, and though they almost knocked the door down, they could not gain admittance, and at last Antiphilus went away very angry, and strangely surprised at hearing a gentleman was dining with his wife. When Antiphilus of Syracuse had finished his dinner, he was so perplexed at the lady still persisting in calling him husband, and at hearing that Dromio had also been claimed by the cookmaid, that he left the house as soon as he could find any pretense to get away. For though he was very much pleased with Luciana, the sister, yet the jealous-tempered Adriana he disliked very much, nor was Dromio at all better satisfied with his fair wife in the kitchen. Therefore both master and man were glad to get away from their new wives as fast as they could. The moment Antiphilus of Syracuse had left the house, he was met by a goldsmith, who, mistaking him, as Adriana had done, for Antiphilus of Ephesus, gave him a gold chain, calling him by his name. 
and when Antipholus would have refused the chain, saying it did not belong to him, the goldsmith replied he made it by his own orders, and went away, leaving the chain in the hands of Antipholus, who ordered his man Dromio to get his things on board a ship, not choosing to stay in a place any longer where he met with such strange adventures that he surely thought himself bewitched. The goldsmith who had given the chain to the wrong Antipholus was arrested immediately after for a sum of money he owed, and Antipholus, the married brother to whom the goldsmith thought he had given the chain, happened to come to the place where the officer was arresting the goldsmith, who, when he saw Antipholus, asked him to pay for the gold chain he had just delivered to him, the price amounting to nearly the same sum as that for which he had been arrested. Antipholus denying the having received the chain, and the goldsmith persisting to declare that he had but a few minutes before given it to him, they disputed this matter a long time, both thinking they were right for Antipholus knew the goldsmith never gave him the chain, and so like were the two brothers, the goldsmith was as certain he had delivered the chain into his hands, till at last the officer took the goldsmith away to prison for the debt he owed, and at the same time the goldsmith made the officer arrest Antipholus for the price of the chain, so that at the conclusion of their dispute Antipholus and the merchant were both taken away to prison together. As Antipholus was going to prison, he met Dromio of Syracuse, his brother's slave, and mistaking him for his own, he ordered him to go to Adriana his wife, and tell her to send the money for which he was arrested. Dromio, wondering that his master should send him back to the strange house where he dined, and from which he had just before been in such haste to depart, did not dare to reply, though he came to tell his master the ship was ready to sail, for he saw Antipholus was in no humour to be jested with. Therefore he went away, grumbling with himself, that he must return to Adriana's house, where, said he, Dowsabel claims me for a husband. But I must go, for servants must obey their master's commands. Adriana gave him the money, and as Dromio was returning, he met Antipholus of Syracuse, who was still in amaze at the surprising adventures he met with, for, his brother being well known in Ephesus, there was hardly a man he met in the streets but saluted him as an old acquaintance. Some offered him money which they said was owing to him, some invited him to come and see them, and some gave him thanks for kindnesses they said he had done them, all mistaking him for his brother. A tailor showed him some silks he had bought for him, and insisted upon taking measure of him for some clothes. Antipholus began to think he was among a nation of sorcerers and witches, and Dromio did not at all relieve his master from his bewildered thoughts, by asking him how he got free from the officer who was carrying him to prison, and giving him the purse of gold which Adriana had sent to pay the debt with. This talk of Dromio's of the arrest and of a prison, and of the money he had brought from Adriana, perfectly confounded Antipholus, and he said, this fellow Dromio is certainly distracted, and we wonder here in illusions. And quite terrified at his own confused thoughts, he cried out, Some blessed power deliver us from this strange place! And now another stranger came up to him, and she was a lady, and she too called him Antipholus, and told him he had dined with her that day, and asked him for a gold chain, which she said he had promised to give her. Antipholus now lost all patience, and calling her a sorceress, he denied that he had ever promised her a chain, or dined with her, or had even seen her face before that moment. The lady persisted in affirming he had dined with her, and had promised her a chain, which Antipholus still denying, she further said that she had given him a valuable ring, and if he would not give her the gold chain, she insisted upon having her own ring again. On this Antipholus became quite frantic, and again calling her sorceress and witch, and denying all knowledge of her or her ring, ran away from her, leaving her astonished at his words and his wild looks, for nothing to her appeared more certain than that he had dined with her, and that she had given him a ring in consequence of his promising to make her a present of a gold chain. But this lady had fallen into the same mistake the others had done, for she had taken him for his brother. The married Antipholus had done all the things she had taxed this Antipholus with. When the married Antipholus was denied entrance into his house, those within supposing him to be already there, 
He had gone away very angry, believing it to be one of his wife's jealous freaks, to which she was very subject, and remembering that she had often falsely accused him of visiting other ladies, he, to be revenged on her for shutting him out of his own house, determined to go and dine with this lady, and she receiving him with great civility, and his wife having so highly offended him, Antiphilus promised to give her a gold chain which he had intended as a present for his wife. It was the same chain which the goldsmith by mistake had given to his brother. The lady liked so well the thoughts of having a fine gold chain that she gave the married Antiphilus a ring, which, when, as she supposed, taking his brother for him, he denied, and said he did not know her, and left her in such a wild passion, she began to think he was certainly out of his senses, and presently she resolved to go and tell Adriana that her husband was mad. And while she was telling it to Adriana, he came, attended by the jailer, who allowed him to come home to get the money to pay the debt, for the purse of money which Adriana had sent by Dromio, and he had delivered to the Antiphilus. Adriana believed the story the lady told her of her husband's madness must be true, when he reproached her for shutting him out of his own house, and remembering how he had protested all dinner-time that he was not her husband, and had never been Nephesus till that day, she had no doubt that he was mad. She therefore paid the jailer the money, and having discharged him, she ordered the servants to bind her husband with ropes, and had him conveyed into a dark room, and sent for a doctor to come and cure him of his madness, Antiphilus all the while hotly exclaiming against this false accusation, which the exact likeness he brought to his brother had brought upon them. But his rage only the more confirmed them in the belief that he was mad, and Dromio persisting in the same story, they bound him also, and took him away along with his master. Soon after Adriana had put her husband into confinement, a servant came to tell her that Antiphilus and Dromio must have broken loose from their keepers, for that they were both walking at liberty in the next street. On hearing this, Adriana ran out to fetch him home, taking some people with her to secure her husband again, and her sister went along with her. When they came to the gates of a convent in their neighbourhood, there they saw Antiphilus and Dromio, as they thought, being again deceived by the likeness of the twin brothers. Antiphilus of Syracuse was still beset with the perplexities this likeness had brought upon him. The chain which the goldsmith had given him was about his neck, and the goldsmith was reproaching him for denying that he had it, and refusing to pay for it, and Antiphilus was protesting that the goldsmith freely gave him the chain in the morning, and that from that hour he had never seen the goldsmith again. And now Adriana came up to him, and claimed him as her lunatic husband who had escaped from his keepers, and the men she brought with her were going to lay violent hands on Antiphilus and Dromio, but they ran into the convent, and Antiphilus begged the abbess to give him shelter in her house. And now came out the lady abbess herself to inquire into the cause of this disturbance. She was a grave and venerable lady, and wise to judge of what she saw, and she would not too hastily give up the man who had sought protection in her house. So she strictly questioned the wife about the story she told of her husband's madness, and she said, what is the cause of this sudden distemper of your husband's? Has he lost his wealth at sea? Or is it the death of some dear friend that has disturbed his mind? Adriana replied that no such things as these had been the cause. Perhaps, said the abbess, he has fixed his affections on some other lady than you, his wife, and that has driven him to this state. Adriana said she had long thought the love of some other lady was the cause of his frequent absences from home. Now it was not his love for another— but the teasing jealousy of his wife's temper that often obliged Antiphilus to leave his home. And the abbess, suspecting this from the vehemence of Adriana's manner, to learn the truth, said, "'You should have reprehended him for this.' "'Why, so I did,' replied Adriana. "'Aye,' said the abbess, "'but perhaps not enough.' 
Adriana, willing to convince the abbess that she had said enough to Antipholus on the subject, replied, "'It was the constant subject of our conversation. In bed I would not let him sleep for speaking of it. At table I would not let him eat for speaking of it. When I was alone with him I talked of nothing else, and in company I gave him frequent hints of it. Still all my talk was how vile and bad it was in him to love any lady better than me.' The lady abbess, having drawn this full confession from the jealous Adriana, now said, "'And therefore comes it that your husband is mad.' The venomous clamour of a jealous woman is a more deadly poison than a mad dog's tooth. It seems his sleep was hindered by your railing. No wonder that his head is light, and his meat was sourced with your upbraidings. Unquiet meals make ill digestions, and that has thrown him into this fever. You say his sports were disturbed by your brawls, being debarred from the enjoyment of society and recreation. What could ensue but dull melancholy and comfortless despair? The consequence is, then, that your jealous fits have made your husband mad. Luciana would have excused her sister, saying she always reprehended her husband mildly, and she said to her sister, "'Why do you hear these rebukes without answering them?' But the abbess had made her so plainly perceive her own fault, that she could only answer, "'She has betrayed me to my own reproof.' Adriana, though ashamed of her own conduct, still insisted on having her husband delivered up to her, but the abbess would suffer no person to enter her house, nor would she deliver up this unhappy man to the care of the jealous wife, determining herself to use gentle means for his recovery, and she retired into her house again, and ordered her gates to be shut against them. During the course of this eventful day, in which so many errors had happened from the likeness the twin brothers bore to each other, old Aegean's day of grace was passing away, it being now near sunset, and at sunset he was doomed to die if he could not pay the money. The place of execution was near this convent, and here he arrived just as the abbess retired into the convent, the duke attending in person that, if any offered to pay the money, he might be present to pardon him. Adriana stopped this melancholy procession, and cried out to the duke for justice, telling him that the abbess had refused to deliver up her lunatic husband to her care. While she was speaking, her real husband and his servant, Dromeo, who had got loose, came before the duke to demand justice, complaining that his wife had confined him on a false charge of lunacy, and telling him what manner he had broken his bonds and eluded the vigilance of his keepers. Adriana was strangely surprised to see her husband when she thought he had been within the convent. Aegeon, seeing his son, concluded this was the son who had left him to go in search of his mother and his brother, and he felt secure that this dear son would readily pay the money demanded for his ransom. He therefore spoke to Antipholus in words of fatherly affection, with joyful hope that he should now be released. But to the utter astonishment of Aegeon, his son denied all knowledge of him, as well he might, for this Antipholus had never seen his father since they were separated in the storm of his infancy. But while the poor old Aegeon was in vain endeavouring to make his son acknowledge him, thinking surely that either his griefs and the anxieties he had suffered so strangely altered him that his son did not know him, or else that he was ashamed to acknowledge his father in his misery, in the midst of this perplexity, the lady abbess and the other Antipholus and Dromeo came out, and the wandering Adriana saw two husbands and two Dromeos standing before her. And now these riddling errors, which had so perplexed them all, were clearly made out. When the duke saw the two Antipholuses and the two Dromeos, both so exactly alike, he at once conjectured a right of these seeming mysteries, for he remembered the story Aegean had told him in the morning, and he said these men must be the two sons of Aegean and their twin slaves. But now an unlooked-for joy indeed completed the history of Aegean, and the tale he had in the morning told in sorrow, and under sentence of death, before the setting sun went down, was brought to a happy conclusion, for the venerable lady abbess made herself known to be the long-lost wife of Aegean, and the fond mother of the two Antipholuses. 
When the fisherman took the eldest Antipholus and Dromio away from her, she entered a nunnery, and by her wise and virtuous conduct she was at length made lady abbess of this convent, and in discharging the rights of hospitality to an unhappy stranger she had unknowingly protected her own son. Joyful congratulations and affectionate greetings between these long-separated parents and their children made them for a while forget that Aegean was yet under sentence of death. When they were become a little calm, Antipholus of Ephesus offered the duke the ransom money for his father's life, but the duke freely pardoned Aegean, and would not take the money, and the duke went with the abbess and her newly found husband and children into the convent, to hear this happy family discourse at leisure of the blessed ending of their adverse fortunes. And the two Dromios, humble joy must not be forgotten. They had their congratulations and greetings too, and each Dromio pleasantly complimented his brother on his good looks, being well pleased to see his own person, as in a glass, show so handsome in his brother. Adriana had so well profited by the good counsel of her mother-in-law, that she never after cherished unjust suspicions, nor was jealous of her husband. Antipholus of Syracuse married the fair Luciana, the sister of his brother's wife, and the good old Aegean with his wife and sons lived at Ephesus many years. Nor did the unravelling of these perplexities so entirely remove every ground of mistake for the future, but that sometimes, to remind them of adventures past, comical blunders would happen, and the one Antipholus and the one Romeo be mistaken for the other, making altogether a pleasant and diverting comedy of errors. End of story.